Okay. Today's daf. Daf of Dalad. Right at the top over there, the top line. It's basically what we're discussing is where to keep your tefillin in a bed. And also, what was discussed is, is it permitted to keep tefillin in your bed if your wife is with you? We weren't so clear last time, but when it says your wife is with you, it doesn't just mean she's sleep, she's sleeping in the same bed as you. It means you do plan on actually having relations with each other. So that's the overall discussion in the beginning of the Amr. So where do you put the tefillin when they're in your bed? So we said, um, what we ended off with is that not only can you put it under your feet, right? We could even put it under your head. Right? That was the opinion of Shmuel, because it's a good way to protect your tefillin from ganavim or mice. So where can you put it? So Amr Vyrmiya, Revir, it says, Ben Karla Kesses. So that, yeah. that implies that the feet is better than the head. No, no correct, so correct. Feet is better, 100%. Correct, feet is better than the head. Um, that's, no, no, I'm sorry. Feet for sure not. No, feet for sure not. That's what we said. Feet is way derech v'zayon. Okay. Yeah? That's a disgraceful thing to do. And head um, okay. would be permitted. Okay. That was the opinion of Shmuel, but the Chiddush of Shmuel was that you could even put it if your wife is there. That was basically his Chiddush, that you would have thought you can't keep it in your bed if you're going to, you know, be together with your wife that night. So the Chiddush of Shmuel was that if it's for protection, it's good. Where do you put it in your bed? You put it in between the pillow and the sheet, or basically between, you know, the mattress and the pillow that you're sleeping on. So again, you're putting it in between the sheets, but shalom connected Russia, but not exactly opposite your head, meaning right next to your head, right? So apparently he put it some sort of thing under his head. So that the thing that he placed it in, the main head of the tefillin was outside your head, so meaning it could be part of the bag which the you know part of the sheet that the tefillin was in. Its wrapping was under your head, but the actual tefillin part was sticking out in a way that you were not actually sitting on the tefillin or lying on the tefillin. Bar Kafra Bar also like wrapped it somehow in the curtain or in the sheet of the bed. And also he did the same thing and again, just make sure that the head of the tefillin was sticking out. He did it a little differently. He put it on some sort of stool and placed a sheet. So again, it wasn't actually in the bed, it was in a stool next to him, and he placed a sheet on top of him. But the Rishonim are very clear over here, and it's based on Gemara later on, is that the theme of, of, of Rav Shisha also is that you, Tefillin always, always, always has to have two coverings. It's to be a kli, betoch kli, a utensil and a utensil. So when it says that he put it on a stool and he placed a sheet on top of the stool, it means the tefillin was already wrapped in something else, like the Gemara was clear earlier. It was wrapped in something else and he placed a sheet on top of it. One time I was in front of Rabba. He told me, Zil, isolate tefillin. Bring my tefillin. And I found them in his bed, right? Between, like where they're supposed to be, between the sheet and the pillow. And I knew... The Yom I knew that it must have been the night before was the day his wife went to the mikvah, and it must be that they were together the night before. And to teach me meaning the fact that he told me to bring his tefillin is he obviously wanted me to find where his tefillin were and to show me that that even though 
they were together, right, that, that him and his wife were together, this would be permitted to put it in such a way. Right? But again, the reason why he told me to buy his tefillin, to, to bring me his tefillin from his bed, was to teach me Allah that even though he was with his wife the night before, the way he placed it was kosher. Two people are sitting in the same bed. It could be a man and another man sharing a bed. What's the halacha? So basically what this Gemara uh, gets involved in is really um, one of two issues. Is that the Gemara will be very clear on the and Beis. And throughout this Gemara is that we don't want you saying Krishma when you are seeing an erva. So that's regarding a woman, right? If you're seeing a woman, um, and we'll discuss at different places of her body, we do not want you reciting Krishma because it's not going to be, it's going to cause you, first of all, it's just improper for the Krishma itself to be set in such a place. And number two, it's going to affect your kavana, right? If you are seeing a erva v'isha. Similarly, if you are touching an erva, even if it's another person, that's also something which we didn't think was proper for the recitation of Krishma. We are 24a. So it says, shishin b'mita two men are sitting in the same bed. They will each turn their backs to each other. What's the halacha regarding Kriyashma? So the problem over here is that even though they turn their backs to each other, but they are still touching each other. That's going to be very clear from the Gemara later on. So again, their backs are to each other, but they're still touching perhaps each other's erva. And the question is, can you say Kriyashma? You could do that even if that's your wife. Meaning, even if you and your wife turn backs to each other, and you would assume there's more hero involved with your wife than there is with like another man or whoever it might be in the bed with you, still he says it's permitted. Yosef says, it seems like what you're saying is Ishtov and not only somebody else. Meaning, the way Shmuel said even your wife, it sounds like wife is a bigger chiddush. Like Not only would it be permitted to do so if another person was in your bed, for sure it was your wife. Says it's only permitted to do this with your wife. Because your wife, your Ragabah, says Rashi, it's not going to cause you to think about anything, right? You're used to it. But Acher, but if it's somebody else, then there's more of a problem. Who knows what type of thoughts will be going in your head. And therefore, this whole Eitzah of turning your back to each other only works if it's your wife and it doesn't work if it's somebody else. Okay, we have the first wide line of Dalad Amaralah. So again, so we now have Machloket, does the Eitzah of turning back to each other to recite Krishna, does that help for other people are only for your wife according to Rav Yosef. We asked the question, there is a bright which says that two people can't turn their back to each other and say, Krishna, but we have another bright which says, we have a bright which seems to say you're in the bed with your children, you're all sharing one bed together. You cannot say Krishna. Elam Kane. Again, the assumption over here in the whole Gemara is that any time you're sleeping, they don't have pajamas in the good, old, the good old days. I don't know who was the first one to invent pajamas, but in the olden days, nobody was sleeping with Mickey Mouse PJs. They were all uh, they were all naked. So we have a, a, a steer in the bright. The one bright that says you could turn their backs to each other, but another bright that says, You actually need a cloak. You need some sort of, of you know, a sheet which is separating the people from each other. Because again, 
they, they will be touching each other. But if they're very young and they're children, then you don't have to put some sort of talit in between you. So we have a contradiction between a bright. One bright that says your family's next to you, you can't say Kriyashma, even if you turn your backs. Another bright that says you could. According to Yosef, not a question. That the bright which says that it works to turn your backs, that's referring to your wife. But meaning because your wife, you're not going to be maharam, because you're, you're used to it. It's talking about somebody else, meaning it's not your wife. Because again, Rav Yosef differentiates between two, but according to Shmuel, the, the, the turning the back always helps. El is Shmuel Kasha. So Amalek Shmuel, Shmuel said back to him, Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef Minicha, does the Brite make sense according to you, Rav Yosef? It also doesn't work out because it says, that tiny, the Brite says, Yosef Bimita Ubana Vubne Beito. Right? It says you're sleeping in the bed with your family, right? And who does your family include? Your wife, right? It doesn't just say your children, it's your wife and your children. If that's the case, meaning, in other words, Banavu Bnei Beit, the children of Yosef includes your wife. And still it says, Le'ikor Kishma, Mokin, Etzit Ha'azma, Fsigas Bnei'im. And Rav Yosef is the one who said that by your wife, turning your back would help. Lamaitcha, Lameimar, Ishtalar, Yosef, Tanayi, so must be that the comment of Yosef of, regarding a wife is so fine. I'll also agree that there might not be a brighter like me, but there is a brighter, even though there's a brighter not like me, but I also have a brighter which is like me. So it's okay for me that the Tanoim are arguing about this the same way that according to Yosef, his comment will be subject to as long as they have one Tana on my side. So we are at the two dots of Chavdal and Marav, eight lines from the top. Omar Mar, Zem they each turn their backs and say Krishna. Asks the Gemara, the Ha'ika Agavos. So this is so the Rashi says the Nagi Bahadadi. Agavos basically refers to their behind, you know, their backs, um, you know, the place which is usually covered. And the Gemara is asking that why isn't that considered an error? I mean, why do we allow that part of your body to touch each other? Because again, when it comes to St. Krishna, we don't want any ervas, any places which are generally covered, to be in contact with your body. As we'll see, we don't even want your, the Gemara Namad Beis will discuss, we don't even want your, your, you to be naked, right? Even if you're just by yourself, we don't want you to say Krishna. So, Amar Mar, That's not considered an erva. That doesn't have a st- that does not have the halachic status of an ever. Therefore, we don't mind that you're touching that part of the body of somebody else. Let's say this is proof to uh, Rifuna. So it says, "So Isha Yoshevet Chalata Aruma Paneha Bekarka." So it says a wife. So let's prove that again. Their behind is not considered an erva. You know, what's the proof? Because it says a woman is allowed to be mafresh chala aruma. So she's completely naked. So why? Because when she's sitting down, you won't be able uh, to see anything. But a man, you will still be able to see something. And therefore, a man shouldn't uh, be mafresh chala or truma if he is arum, if he's not dressed. So you see from here that, it, that again, it's not considered an erva. Because that part was probably still exposed. Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak says no. The entire, you know, she basically she was completely submerged in afar or karka, and therefore nothing was exposed, not the front and not the back. And therefore, we don't see from here that it's not a, uh, it's not considered an erva. So again, the Gemara is coming out that a, a, a guvos, a gavos, wouldn't have the halachic status of an erva. Again, not such a, a common application because rarely is that part of the body. 
I exposed it. I just thought it was funny. Yesterday, my mother was thinking of taking the kids to a movie or something, so I just like looked it up to see. It was like a cartoon, like one of these things, and it says there is nudity in the movie. I'm like, why? Because in the cartoon, one of the guys takes off his towel and you see his behind. You know, so I just thought they, they call that nudity. But I just find it, according to this Gemara, Agavos ain't behemishum I don't know if you would call that nudity, according to the Gemara. Um, um, um. The Gemara continues and says, If your children are very young, it is permitted. When are they considered children? When are they considered children? You don't have to listen to this Gemara. This, you know, this Gemara applies to you. When are you a child or not? It says a girl that's three and a boy that's because that's when they're considered by the Bia. Says a girl when she is uh, 12, basically, and when she is 11 or 11 years old. So when she's, again, um, 12th, year. 12th year, and a boy when she is in her 13th year, right? Basically, it needs to be that you know both the girl and body and boy's body is somehow uh, you know in a formed uh, state. It's matured, and that's when they're considered uh, adults, which is basically what we generally assume. But the chiddush is even for these halachot of erva, that's also the shiur. Rava had said earlier. because we would assume it to be older or younger. I'm just saying, in other words, just a right, who said a rice has to do with gados. I mean, okay. gados has to do with obligation of mitzvot. This is just discussing, you know, what would cause someone to be maharer or not. So the Gemara continues, Over there, Rava says, if you recall, um, on Amr, the end of Amr Aleph yesterday, Rava had a funny comment where he said, Sorry, the end of Amr Bet. It said Amr Rav. I forgot the tiyuf to the Shmuel. Helchato kivasei the Shmuel. Rav said that even though we had disproven Shmuel from a Brayta, the halacha will follow Shmuel regarding the halacha of whether we permit someone to keep the tefillin in the bed if the ishto is imo. So the question over here is hacha mai. What is the halacha over here regarding whether we would grant permission to turn backs to each other only by wife or or by everyone else? So, like, do we say the same thing? So, Amalei, like, like, are all rulings of Rava put into, like, you know, one basket? Every ruling of Rava is different. Like, why, be, in other words, why because Rava ruled, like, Shmuel in this case, would he then rule, like, Shmuel in that case? They have nothing to do with each other. If we said the halachas, like, Shmuel, he said, if not, no. Like, there's no reason to assume just because Rava yesterday said, you know, uh, the halacha was, like, Shmuel. Uh, so, today, also, he would have said that. Amalei, Fine, kind of a new Gemara. If you have hair of an Isha coming out from, you know, uh, from a Makom Erva, Mahu, do we consider that an Erva? So says the Gemara, Kari Aleha, so he responded, Sar Sar, hair, hair, like who cares, it's just hair. Basically, it would be considered uh, an Erva. Amr Yitzchak, Tafach Isha Erva, that by a Isha, so now the, the following halachas are regarding saying Krishma Kenegdo, meaning if certain parts of a woman's body are exposed, can you say Krishma next to that Isha or in the same room as that Isha, assuming you're looking at her. So Amrav, it's like Tefach Bisha Erva. A Tefach of a Isha is considered an Erva. So what is that? So it doesn't say, it says the word Lamai, for what? If you're going to say to gaze at her, 
The Pasuk, when it talks about what they collected from their battle in Midian, mentioned all types of jewelry. And jewelry that women will put on all parts of their body. So, you know, what parts that are exposed and not exposed. So the Gemara says, Lomar Allah to teach you, then I know what it looks even at a finger. It's looking as if he's looking at a place which is exposed. So, in other words, if you're going to tell me that a tefach and isha is considered an erva, you can't tell me it's talking about halachot regarding what you're allowed to look at, because you're not allowed to look at anything if your kavan is to gaze and to get hana. So, Ella, what? So, what are we discussing? Ella, rather, rather, we're discussing for the halachot regarding saying krishma, meaning an etzba kitana, although you're not supposed to gaze at that, uh, but for what affects your ability to say Krishna, even if you're not really looking, it's just there, you're facing it, so then we have to know what is considered a erva. On that we say, a tefach of the isha is an erva. Now, the Gemara really didn't say, well, which part of the body? Well, like a tefach of what? Right, her face. If a tefach of her face is considered an erva, so all the Rishonim explained over here, it means that a tefach of a isha, meaning, a place which is generally exposed, that communal society has, has accepted, that you cover that part of the body, then you cannot go ahead and say uh, Krishma. But it's generally uncovered, then you could go ahead and say uh, Krishma, right? Which is the famous Aruch HaShochan, when he talks about how do you say Krishma in, in a show where many women don't cover their hair. So he says basically that, you know, nowadays that it's not considered an abnormal thing uh, for someone to do. It's not considered a strange thing to walk around with your hair uncovered, of course. So he says that that's permitted to say Krishna, that therefore one can say Krishna in such a uh, situation. Continues the Gemara. Because um, again, it's all about what's accepted by community to cover. Amr of Chizda, Shaykh Bi'isha Erva. Chizda says that a, so it's a bit unclear what, a, what the Shok, Meshavur translates means a thigh. Five and Ishan Erva, right? This is like the, you know, the frame that, you know, okay, fine, we'll just continue. Shaykh Bi'isha Erva, Shnema, like the Pasuk says, Galitz, and so the Pasuk says, which Pasuk is this? Oh, I see, it's interpreting it that way. Oh, Gali Shaik, Ivri Naharos. And then the next Pasuk says, so it says, reveal, you know, the thigh, Uksivna, it says, but after that, Togil Ervascha. So you see, Vigam Tircha Pasuk, so it says, you know, when that part is revealed, I see your ever and I see your shame. So, Bikitsur, so what the Gemara seems to be saying is that, even though we just finished saying that it's only considered an erva, if it's something which is generally covered. However, a shok says the Mishnah will always be considered an erva, even if the communal um, practice is to uh, cover it. So that's really what the Gemara is doing by specifying certain parts. Amr Shmuel Shmuel says, Kol isha erva. Right? If a woman is singing while saying Krishna, that's also considered, because it says in Shem Ki like it complements the beauty of a woman's voice. So that also could cause hear, 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 hear. A hair of Isha is also uh, considered erva. Uh, okay. Six lines from the bottom. I saw Rabbi that he hung his tefillin on a peg, Rashi says. So Gemara doesn't really like this. Someone who hangs his tefillin, his life is like also suspended in the air, right? He's not going to last too long. It's not a nice way to treat your tefillin. The ones who used to be darish, like hidden things in the Torah, they said that this pasuk 
this is referred to in the Pasuk that says, That it says that your life is hanging. This refers to as someone who hangs his tefillin. So how could Rebbe, how could um, Rebbe hang his tefillin from a peg? You see, you're not supposed to. It depends. If what you're hanging it is, is from the straps, that means that the bayit of tefillin is like just hanging down like that. That's not proper. But if the head is, again, but the bayit of the tefillin is sitting on the peg and the straps are just going down, that's not considered so bad. But some say, Some say that it actually doesn't make a difference. Uh, Aser, both of them will be Aser. When Rebbe did it, he did it in its cover, meaning it was, it was protected by something else, and he had the, it sounds like he hung the tefillin, you know, in a way that the cover was sitting on top of the peg and it was hanging down, so therefore it wasn't so apparent the way he was hanging it. Handbag. What? Handbag. A handbag, right? Yeah, handbag. Ihachi, if so, asks the Gemara, my remember, like what's the Kiddush? Of course, if you're hanging it by, you know, with a bag, it's not going to be a problem. I would have thought that just like a Sefer Torah is supposed to place onto something, Kamash Malan, that it's not like a Sefer Torah, you don't actually have to be sitting onto something, it actually could be hanging as long as it's in a cover, according to the second answer of the Gemara. Now we're going to talk about other practices the Rabbi Chanina saw his Rabbi do. I saw Rabbi Shagihek, that he would sometimes belch during a davening, or Rashi says, it means that he like used to stretch, you know, like when you get up in the morning and stretch, we did that during davening. Upiheik, he used to yawn sometimes. Vinasatish, sneeze. Viroki, Rabbi had quite the act of davening. Vinasatish, he would sneeze. Doesn't it mean all in one amida? He sneezed, Virok, and he uh, sneezed. Umemash if he had some sort of like lice on his shirt, he would, or coming onto his body, he would take it off, not with his hands, because that's not a proper thing to do during davening, but he would take it off with clothing. Rashi says if his talit would fall off, he would not bother to pick it up. He didn't think that was proper to affect your kavanah. And when he would yawn, right? he basically put his hand on his chin, meaning a way to cover up the yawn. Right? Proper etiquette is to cover your yawn. Mate may ask the Gemara, we're going to question some of Rebbe's practices. Someone who raises his voice while he davenes is emuna. Looks like he doesn't believe in God, as if God cannot hear his voice. Someone who speaks very high, I raise him in a via sheker. He's like a false prophet because apparently that's the way they used to speak, as Rashi points out. By the service of Baal, that's how they would speak to their idols. Rashi says. So again, you look like you're a false prophet. Continues the bright, huh? Someone who like belches or yawns during davening, during the Amidah, raise He is a very haughty person, as if he doesn't really understand who he's standing before, right? And then it also says, someone who sneezed during davening, apparently that's a very bad sign. And some say, it's like a sign that he's something you know, bad with this person. Harok um, Betilas says someone who spits during davening it's as if he spit in front of a king so basically we have many questions how did Rebbe you know yawn stretch sneeze 
and spit, all four things look, are looked down upon. So the Gemara says, yawning is not such a big deal, or like some sort of stretching or belching. That a yawn you can't control, right? Or like opening up your mouth and stretching, those aren't things you can necessarily control. So Rebbe did a laonsa when it was like against his will. It just like happened. But another talking is where you just like open up your mouth and do things willingly, and that's not something uh, which is... Uh, proper to do while davening. So that's, we answered that. What about sneezing? Now sneezing, you can't answer one was against you will and one was done willingly because it's a little hard to sneeze willingly, right? You can't choose uh, to sneeze. So, so here it says that sneezing is a bad sign, but yet Rebbe used to sneeze. You know, chances are Rebbe didn't have bad signs happen to him. You have to actually explain differently. We don't mean sneeze. We mean some sort of passing wind. One is from the top of your body and one is from the, well, I guess, bottom slash back of your body. Right? In other words, it was a passing wind. So the Gemara says, Kan Malo, one is actually sneezing, and Kan is Milmata, otherwise referred to as Yafiach. Dom Rav Zera, Hamilsi Vloy Be Rav Hamnuna, Vitakilo Kakilo Tamuda, that, you know, this one is taught to me by Rav Hamnuna, and it was uh, equal to all the teachings that he taught me. Hamasatish Bitfilasov Siminafilas, that one who sneezes during davening is actually a good sign. Right? Unlike what, because before when we said that it was a bad sign, it was referring to wind coming out of a different part of your body. But sneezing is a good sign. Why? Just like it's a very satisfying feeling uh, to sneeze, so too, so too, God is very satisfied with you above. Okay, look at that. So sneezing is a good thing. Uh, what about spitting? Right? Said that you're not supposed to sneeze earlier. It seems Rebbe, spit, I mean. And Rebbe used to spit. Maybe he did like Rebbe Huda. Rebbe Huda says, I omit bitfila. And it's damn rock, and I guess sometimes you know mucus builds up, and you kind of feel like you have to spit. You could have swallowed up in your uh, talit. Now it's a bit of a machloket. Does this mean like you're actually talit to use for a mitzvah? Like that doesn't seem such a nice thing to do with your talit to use it for your mucus. Uh, so probably just means your cloak or something. Your you know your coat. And talis no. Well, so but if it's nice, so it could be this referring to your talit. Basically means like you have uh, like a hat and you have like strings coming down, so, right? Some some sort of thing coming down on the side of, of like a turban or something. You'd be allowed to you know put it into there. The point is is that don't spit, but rather swallow it up in something else. So apparently that's what Rebbe used to do. Rebbe didn't just spit, but he would be mavlia it into something else. Ravina havi Ravashi. Ravina used to stand behind Ravashi and his damli roke. And uh, Ravashi had spit paskil achari. So Ravashi spit directly at Ravina because well, Ravina just was lucky enough to stand behind him. Don't you hold? You supposed to put the spit in some sort of handkerchief. You know you, you, the, the strings of your turban. You know why did you have to spit at me? I'm not in the To me, I'm you know it's a little gross for me uh, to spit into my clothing. If I'd rather spit into you, <laughs> I recall us. Um, that we got to move on, but I, I recall sitting one Yom Kippur behind somebody who was very makbid that he shouldn't swallow his spit because he felt swallowing your spit on Yom Kippur is like drinking. So he, he spent the entire Yom Kippur spitting into his uh, shirt. So that was the first time I really experienced this Gemara of sitting behind someone uh, constantly spitting, although he wasn't spitting at me, he was spitting into his handkerchief. But yeah, 
either way, it was gross. Here's the Gemara. First, uh, you know, of the wider lines, not widest, but wider. Someone who raises his voice in a way that can be heard. It shows he does not believe in God. It's like that language by Noah, where we find that language also. That's only when you're able to have Kavanah, when you dive in quietly. If it's difficult for you to have kavanah belachas, mutter. But if it's bitzibur, asal mitzvah tzibur, you're going to come to again be mitzvah tzibur that the other tzibur will be bothered by someone davening loudly. Now again, if it's a level where everyone is like used to, then of course that's going to be okay. So it just means davening louder than what people would normally expect. Interesting Gemara. Rabbi Abba was making his way from Babel to Israel. But before he went, he wanted to hear a teaching, but he didn't want to pass by Rabbi Yehuda because Rabbi Yehuda had a shita. The Amr of Yehuda, Kala Olami Babla, it's all over Basay. Usually we think it's a mitzvah to go to Israel. Rabbi Yehuda was a real uh, Satmar Yid, and he said, You cannot leave Babel to go to Eretz Israel, right? You're over Basay. Shnamra, like the Pasuk says, like you're going to be, he understood it means you'll be in Bavel, you'll be there. It's all the time that Hashem like brings, like calls you, right? And remembers you and brings you to Israel. So he, he thought that the Pasuk meant that you should stay in Bavel. Now the Vilna Gon says that Rav Abba held, then no, that's not referring to a people, it's referring to the, actually the Kalim. If you look at the Psukim, that the utensils are going to say in Babel until Mashiach, but the people will go to Mashiach, will go to Israel uh, before him. Okay, so, but he, I still wanted to go hear something from him, so me base Fada from his base. I just wrote Apik, and then I will make my way to my Nefesh Benefesh flight. So he found a, so he went by, again at the entrance of the Beit Midrash, and he heard that they were teaching in front of Yehuda the following halacha. Right, he was standing, that the teaching was as follows, someone who's standing in Tefillah, and he um, does not mean he sneezes, but rather he's yafiach, right? He passes some gas, so it's going to smell. So you should wait until the smell goes away, then you could continue davening. There's someone who's davening and he notices it's going to happen soon. Go back for Amot. Just take care of business. Wait until the smell goes away. He goes back to his place and then he davens again. Meaning you don't even want to be in the same place that it happened. And this amazing thing, in the middle of your tefillah, you say another tefillah, you interrupt your Amidah. You created cavities and openings in a person's body. You know how much we become ashamed in our lifetime with worms, you know, eating up our body. Fine. The point being that this was like an embarrassing thing for him because it could be that somebody heard this, you know, while he was davening. That's why earlier it said that if this happens to someone during davening, it's a simon rallo. Why is it a simon rallo? So Rishonim explained because it's very embarrassing in Beit Knesset when that happens to you. So if someone goes through such a busha, he then throws in the special tefillah. He then starts his amidah from where he stopped. Amr Alei, Rav Abba, who was on his way to Israel, said, If this is the only thing I heard, it was enough. I don't know, maybe he meant to say, 
you know, if this is what they're learning about, maybe it's time to go to Eretz Yisrael. No, I'm is, kidding. Is, I don't is, think is, that's is what it is. Yeah. Source pressure yet, sir? Um, no, no, we have a different okay. Gemara. Um, I'll turn up on a Yosher Betel. So what this Gemara is discussing is that on Amar Alf we discussed if you were seeing an, someone else's error or you were touching someone else's error. Here we're going to be discussing what's called the Le- either Rosho Roet Erva or Liba Rotas Erva, meaning you're naked. Now, we want some parts of the body to be separated, right? You're familiar with the gartel, right? The point of the gartel is to separate. Now, we don't wear a gartel because we have clothing, but the point is that we're trying to be mafsik, we're trying to create some sort of, um, not interruption, but some sort of way uh, that the heart or the mind does not see in some way the Erva. So Yashem tells you're sleeping in bed, and it's very cold, and you don't want to stick your head out of the blanket. So if you would stick your head out of the blanket, you'd put the sheet um, you know, by your neck, and therefore the head would not see the Erva. But it's cold. So what do you do? You want to like kind of not choke yourself, but make it a bit tight. On your neck, and then Vikar Krishma, then you go ahead and go, then you could go ahead and say uh, Krishma Viesh Omrim Alibo. And some say no, you want to you want to do it a little lower down. It's not enough to have a separation by your head. You want it to be Alibo by your heart. Vitani Kama, right? And we learned so Vitani Kama. And the first opinion you held that it was enough to do by your head, but it was okay that if Libo was Ro et Erva says more Har Libo Ro et Erva. Like, why is it good? He, he holds it, that's fine. Meaning, as long as the Rosho is not Roa et as Erva. But if the Libo is Roa et Erva, then it's going to be okay. Amrifuna. Again, so that's a halach says We rule like the second opinion. We rule like there's got to be some separation between the Libo and the Erva. You're walking in a very dirty place, and it sounds like this was an extremely a dirty place where there might have been tzawa and merglaim, a lot of stuff going on in this, just considered a you know, back alleyway in Manhattan. So it says, You could put your hand on your mouth. That's enough. Right? Could this be that you're saying this? If had Rabbi Yochanan said this with his own mouth, I wouldn't have listened to him. Meaning, I don't believe that he permitted you just to close your mouth and say, Krishma. Basically, what, what this Kumar is discussing is something that Ahmed Bez will be very clear. On Chafeyan Bez, there's a rule called, that when you say, Krishma, your camp should be Kadosh. And therefore, if it's dirty, then that's not a proper place to say Krishma. But Rabbi Yochanan permitted you, as long as you cover your mouth, that would be okay. And if Chesed said, I don't believe it. I don't believe that he said that. Um, at least I wouldn't listen to it, because he feels that you know, the fact that you're walking through, putting your hand over your mouth won't help. Some said this in the name of for walking in the place. Right? He said, I also will not listen to him. Um, this is a machloket. Says the Gemara, did Rufuna say that it's okay just to cover your mouth and then you'll be good? Right? What? What's, what's the reason? For what's the reason for covering your mouth? It's not so uh, clear. To, so if you get into the Gemara, we'll see. Right? Face change Gemara because again we we're asking a contradiction from Rav Huna to Rav Huna in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. But the Gemara feels that it sounds like Rav Huna agreed with Rabbi Yochanan. Cannot stand in a dirty place. Because if because is going to think about Torah, and you're not supposed to think about Torah in a dirty place. But what you see is, is that Torah should not be recited in a dirty place. So how can you say Krishna, which is 
also Talmud Torah. It depends if you're standing or if you're walking. If you're standing, then it becomes, the way the Ritva says, it becomes your machin, it becomes your camp. So then it has to be Kaddish. If you're just walking through, then it's okay. So what Ellie is asking, I'm assuming that um, Ellie, that in other words, when you close your mouth, you're not going to be, in, I'm assuming it means like your nose also in a way that you're, making sure you're not going to inhale any of the smell, and therefore at least you're being sensitive uh, to your Kriyashma, I, I believe. Omi Amar, Rav Yochanan Hachi, did Rav Yochanan say there's a difference between walking and standing? Again, we just said, if you're walking, it's okay. If you're standing in one place, then that's not proper. Did Rav Yochanan say this? You could think about Torah in any place besides a bathhouse and a bathroom. Maybe you'll tell me that over there you were standing in the bathroom and you weren't just walking, but it sounds like Rabbi Yochanan was stringent even when walking. For Rabbi Avu was walking with Rabbi Yochanan. He was reading Kriyashma. When Rabbi Abba got to these dirty alleyways, Ishtik. He was quiet, meaning he stopped talking uh, Torah or stopping Krishna. He said to Rabbi Hadar, where should I go back to? So Amalei told him, if you basically stopped and that was the amount of time you could have finished the whole Krishna, right? that's the rule we mentioned yesterday, then you go back. So what do you see from here? That even though they were walking in the dirty place, Rabbi Yochanan seemed to be okay with Rabbi Vahu stopping. From St. Krishna, right? In other words, we well, just made a distinction. If you're walking through a place, then you don't have to stop your Krishna. And it seems like Rabbi Yochanan agreed with Rabbi Vahu's practice that he stopped his Krishna. So it says the Gemara, right? So the Gemara answers that, um, you're right, but, so, sorry, so really what the Gemara meant to say, what Rabbi Yochanan meant to say is, I don't think you should stop. You know, I didn't necessarily approve of your decision to stop your Krishna, but you who held that, you know, you're supposed to stop even when you're walking, and then it depends. So again, the fact that Rabbi Yochan and Rabbi Abba are walking together and Rabbi Abba stopped his Krishna doesn't show that Rabbi Yochan agreed. That's all. He's just answering his question based on Rabbi Abba's assumption that you were supposed to stop. Right, so we had a machlokas, whether when you're walking through a dirty place, does it help to cover your mouth? So we have a right to supporting each opinion. Right, so again, a machloket between the brightas, whether um, you're allowed to say Krishma. Not only that, that you shouldn't say Krishma. Let's say you were, not only should you not start saying Krishma, but had you started then you should stop. You should stop. If you didn't stop your Krishna, my, what's the halacha? On him, the Pasuk says against someone who doesn't stop, I gave him chukim, which I think is coming to say that like they've used my chukim and mishpatim in an incorrect way, right? Like lo tovim. They've used my Chukim, which is like to say Krishma, and they've done it in a low tov way by saying it in a dirty place. Uh, it's the pasuk on him is like someone who like pulls a uh, a sin. Right? Rashi says like, in other words, they had the ability uh, to stop the sin, but rather, but they continue to be mamshach the avon by continuing to say Krishma.
in this dirty place. That's an easy one that they basically disgraced, they belittled the word of Hashem. Then Pasak, by, again, by not treating it properly, we're saying Krishna in a dirty place. Then Pasak, Maschara, what is your reward if you stop? You'll merit a long uh, life. So that's the end of that uh, Gemara. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stop here. We will stop here. There's something I wanted to add. Yeah, we'll stop here. Okay, Shkoch. Very good. Is, is this, there's only one.